You're listening to the New Life Podcast. We're one church in multiple locations based out of Aberdeen, South Dakota. We hope this message helps the gospel come alive for you and gives you an opportunity to encounter Jesus in a whole new way. For more info on New Life, you can check out our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Let's get ready to listen to today's message. I felt led to start this post-Easter time with you guys. Um, in, a, in a way where we get to some, after being 20-something weeks in the book of Mark, uh, we get back to some basics and we look at kind of what we're doing here uh, through the lens of Scripture, and I want to glean from the early church. Now, when you think of the early church, how many of you guys have ever heard this message? Uh, you know, we need to get back to the early church and how great it was. And if the church would only be like that church, right? So definition of early church could be right after Christ ascends, and I would agree in the book of Acts, They figured it out on a much greater level than we did now 2,000 years later. Uh, But I would also say that, you know, 1950 years ago was pretty early. And and what I want to show you uh, on this seven-week or now eight-week series, because I'm just going to intro it today, what I want to show you is that the early church, right after the early church, looked way too much like us and even just to our own uh, demise was actually more dysfunctional than us. Uh, So we're going to be spending some time in Revelation, and I know that when you hear the word Revelation, you probably think of, you know, uh, the seven seals and and judgment and and, and stuff that's still yet to come, and all that's true. Obviously, that takes up the uh, the bulk of Revelation, but what we're going to do is we're going to spend now the next several weeks in the very first part of Revelation. And in the very first part of Revelation, it's not about things that are yet to happen, it's about things that were already happening. And the Apostle John pins the entire book, and before it ever gets into those things that are yet to happen, he starts by hearing from Jesus on an island, and as he's hearing from Jesus on an island, Jesus tells him to pin this letter and to write this letter to the seven churches that John was integral in helping start. And so these these churches, the first one is Ephesus, and they're along the... uh, uh, they're, they're along, it's in like this Asia, Asia Minor area, it's modern day Turkey, and he sets up the first church, and there's a trickle-down effect where then they start planting other churches, and so these churches are very dear to the Apostle John's heart. And as we go through this, I, I want you to pay attention to a few things. Jesus has a lot of words re, for, of rebuke for his church. He has some words of praise. In fact, he actually in some ways looks like uh, someone who's been trained in conflict management, Jesus does. I didn't plan on saying any of this, but I just thought of it right now. Uh, in that, he'll say something uh, good about the church, or at least some of them, and then he'll say something really harsh about the church, and then at the end of it, he'll give encouragement again. And now that's only some of them, uh, but you see him do things like that. He has one church where he says just a bunch of good stuff about, and then he has other scenarios where he has nothing good to say. And within these seven churches, what's so interesting is they're kind of a micro-level example of all churches. If you can't find something about new life in these churches, you're not looking hard enough. If you can't find something from the church that you came from or the church that you grew up from in these seven churches, then you're not looking hard enough because it's right in front of your face. And so there's these words of rebuke, there are these words of praise, and John is, is blown away by everything he's seeing. He knew Jesus in his ministry, he was Jesus' best friend. 
was so close to the heart of Christ that a few weeks ago when we saw Jesus on the cross, Jesus makes these different statements, and one of the statements that Jesus makes is, he, he says to John, he says, John, take care of my mom. And so we know that Jesus really loved John. And we also know that John had an incredibly hard life. I'm gonna say this one, we're gonna read some scripture. One of the things we know through church history is that John was boiled not once, but twice in hot oil because they wanted to murder him. And because of a miracle from God, he did not die. And so John had a very hard life, and his hard life wasn't over. As the letter is being penned, he's actually on an island in a basic makeshift prison of the day. But this is what it says in Revelation 1.9. John is talking through Jesus. He says this. He says, I, John, your brother, and underline this in your Bible if you brought your Bible this morning. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation. Underline partner in the tribulation. And the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So John's having a hard time. John's life looks like your life except much, much worse. And we know from history that John is not a young man by the time that he gets this revelation from Jesus. We know that historically he's seen all sorts of stuff that has led him up to this place. He's seen all of the other disciples die. He's the only one left. He probably did their funerals, a lot of them. And he's just seen all sorts of destruction. Jesus says the temple's going to crumble. Do you guys remember that a few weeks ago when he prophesied that? That the temple is going to crumble. Uh, it has actually happened at this point in the storyline. Jerusalem has been sacked. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple has been completely destroyed, just like Jesus said. Not one stone left on another. And John, in his younger years, has seen all these things take place. History tells us that there were 985 towns in Israel, and the Romans kind of just wiped them out. It was this genocide that was taking place in the culture around him, and he was the last man standing. And so in the midst of all these things going on, he plants these churches in Asia Minor. And there's good things and there's bad things. Let me give you just kind of a recap. We're going to be spending time in these. Let me give you a recap of some of the bad things. The first week, next week, we're going to get to this church called Ephesus. It's the same church about the book of Ephesians. It's a great church in a lot of ways. But he says about Ephesus, it loses its first love. And Jesus actually threatens to shut it down. He says about Pergamos that it was immoral. He says about Thyatira that it was compromised with sin and with worldliness. He says about Sardis that it's dead. And then probably the most damaging thing that Jesus says is to the last church that we're going to cover in these weeks that we spend time together is that Laodicea is nauseating to Jesus, and he actually says this, this gives you this mental picture that I don't need to describe because you already get it, right? You've already probably been here at some point in your life. He says, this church is so nauseating to me that I want to vomit it out. You guys remember what he calls that church? Any church Bible scholars in the crowd? What does he say? He calls it the lukewarm church. That's the church that we do not want to be. And so John's sitting on an island. It wouldn't have been unique. There probably would have been about 50 islands that Romans would have occupied in this time, and it would serve as a makeshift prison. And if you went to this island, you would lose everything. You'd lose your property. You'd lose your possessions. You'd lose all civil rights. 
And when John is writing this letter, he's at the ripe young age of 90. Any 90-year-olds in church today? You could stand up. We want to recognize you if you're 90. Is there anyone that's 90 or older in church? All right. Keep working hard. You'll get there one day, right? He would have been treated worse than the people around him because he was the identifiable leader that was still alive in Christianity. And so he would have been doing hard labor. There's this guy by the name of Sir William Ramsey that talk about what John's life would have looked like on this island. He says, John's banishment would have been precedented by scourging, by perpetual chains, by scanty clothing, by insufficient food, by sleeping on the bare ground, living in a dark prison cave, and working under the lash of a whip. Guys, he's 90 years old. He's 90 years old and he's doing some manual labor and he is worshiping the Savior and now Jesus comes to him. Remember, this is Jesus' best friend in his earthly ministry. He loves John and now he comes to him as a risen Savior, as an ascended Savior who's sitting on the throne and he says this in verse 10. John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Write it down, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. These are the seven churches. That's us, right? 2,000 years later, that's us. Now, we're not one of the seven, but we do look like each of the seven churches in different ways. And so he's saying this, right? This is the metaphor that the church has always been since Christ ascended. And then the Holy Spirit comes down in the book of Acts. The church has always been the light. We're going to talk about that when we apply this in just a bit. The church has always been the lampstand. That's its intended design. It's not supposed to live in darkness. It's supposed to walk in light. In verse 13 it says, In the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. Who's that? Does anyone know? Scream it out if you know it. Do you guys remember what I told you a long time ago in church? If you don't know the answer in church, the answer is always Jesus. Okay, here we go. So it's Jesus. And Jesus isn't outside of these lampstands. He talks about him through the lens of being within the lampstands. Jesus is within the church. He's not outside of the church. 90-year-old John living in a work camp, beaten on a regular basis, is now seeing this vision. And he has this. Can you imagine this? I mean, wouldn't it only be natural in this moment after you've been dealing with these things for years and years on an island, remembering some of the good old days and when the church started knowing that some bad things in history have happened, and now you're meeting Jesus and you're seeing him, although your life is completely and utterly seemingly out of control, now you see the the risen Savior, the ascended Savior on the throne, and he's gonna give this word picture of what Jesus looks like now, so different than what he looked like when he was on planet Earth, and he sees Jesus, look at me, he sees Jesus in complete and utter control. I mean, how many of us have felt like in the past year our life has been a little out of control? How awesome and refreshing is it 
that now we get this picture of Jesus in a world that's a lot crazier 2,000 years ago than anything that we're even dealing with. We see this risen Savior in complete control in the middle of the church, ruling and reigning, telling John, write these things down. He's going to give him a vision to the very end. He's the first and the last, and he's sitting in this position of control, and he's looking like a high priest because he has a robe on with a sash to it that would have been reminiscent of a high priest in the Old Testament and into the beginning of the New Testament. And what the high priest role was 2,000 years ago was to intercede to the Father. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the great high priest. I'm the lamb that was slain. I'm the one that's sitting within these churches. I'm in complete and utter control. And you can trust in, you can lean on me because I am who I say I am. I mean, that's a word for us as we get going on this sermon series. That despite all of the chaos that's ensuing around us, that our Savior's in control. That he's on the throne. And here, here's some word pictures of what he actually looks like. In verse 14, it says, The hairs of his head were white, like white wool. They were white like snow. His eyes were a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. There's this picture of authority that stands over John. It's this idea that the king is on the throne and the feet always in these types of word pictures would resemble judgment. And the way that they resemble judgment is so he's looking up, he's seeing these feet that are like bronze, he's seeing this white hair and eyes that are like fire. It would have been so much different than the way that he perceived Jesus as his best friend. He sees now Jesus in a position of absolute authority over him. And the way that you know that is because the feet are above him on the throne. And when the king's feet were above on the throne, it was a way of saying that I stand over you in judgment. I stand over you in authority. And so Jesus is saying, I am standing over you in authority. And I can stamp out any sin that I see in the life of the church. And I am the resurrected Savior. You hear him talking about the voice of Jesus and he, and he makes this analogy. It's like the sound of many waters. That's actually an Old Testament reference. Ezekiel chapter 43 talks about the voice of God as the sound of many waters. And here's why I think that's so cool. Because now year after year, John, who's now 90 years old, is sitting on this island. Anyone ever been to an island? I know some of you have because I even had someone who always goes to different islands brought me a gift today. Uh, a t-shirt, I haven't even looked at it yet, but I imagine it's from some island that I didn't get to go to. You guys like to go away from here, even if it's COVID, like I wanna get out of this place and I wanna go to an island. What are some of the sights and sounds when you're on an island? Isn't one of the coolest sights and sounds is the sound of roaring waters crashing against the rocks? John, year after year, have been, has been listening to the, the roaring waves smashing into the rocks. And so he gives this word picture from the Old Testament that when he hears the voice of Jesus, it's like this roaring water that's crashing against the rocks on the island. And he speaks with clarity and he speaks with power. And here's how it ends today. In verse 16, in his right hand he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, here's what John does. Here's what we'd do if we actually saw Jesus in heaven. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and I'm the living one. 
I died and behold, I live forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. And as for the mystery of the seven stars that you may see in the right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. In the midst of one of the most terrifying images that you'll ever see, God in, in all of his authority, his son Jesus ruling and reigning, Jesus grabs him by the shoulder. He says, fear not, it's me, it's Jesus. I already told you these things were gonna take place. I told you that I was gonna go back to be with the Father. I told you that I was, I'm gonna return again. And so then he, after these few short chapters, goes on to talk about what the end is gonna look like because Jesus is in complete control. But for today, as we get into this sermon series, I just have a few thoughts for you on this text. And I want you to write them down because we're gonna walk in these next several weeks together. The first one is something you may have known or you may not have known because you may have only known this one piece of history called your piece of history. And what you've heard and what you've seen, what you've lived out, maybe some of you haven't even been in church for a while because you've experienced the pain of this reality, is that churches have issues and you've been burned by church. Here's what I want you to see. I want you to look at it through a larger context in the book of Revelation for the last 2,000 years and I want you to write it down so that when people criticize the church, you can have a quick response. That what you see in the last 2,000 years, starting from the early church, is this. The church has always, write it down, the church has always had issues. The church has always had issues because Jesus is perfect and we're not. And so until Jesus comes back, not an excuse to do whatever we want, but until Jesus returns for his bride, I can tell you with certainty the church will always have issues. In fact, why it's so applicable to what we're going to be talking about is the same issues they dealt with are the same dysfunctions that are now in the church and have been in the church. Issues like hypocrisy, issues like losing your first love. Remember when you first got saved and everything was so pure and you just wanted to tell people about Jesus, but then you grew in your faith and you found that as you grew in your faith, you actually grew away from the Lord. Can anyone relate to that? That's the church of Ephesus. They got all this head knowledge, but not heart knowledge. Issues like immorality. I mean, I know that that's never happened in new life. Never one's ever dealt with immorality, right? Issues like immorality, compromising, being spiritually dead, being spiritually lukewarm. The church has always, always had issues. And you can look at that from one or two lenses. You could say, well, if the church has issues, then I want nothing to do with the church. But hear me say this. Doesn't it feel a little bit good that the church has issues? Look at me. Because you have issues? I mean, what if you walked into this place and there was no issues? Wouldn't you quickly be like a repellent to that and go, well, man, I don't really fit in here? I mean, the fact that we struggle with hypocrisy and sometimes we're not always, you know, they're not always the kindest to one another and we have disagreements and we fight over stupid stuff, isn't that a little bit of good news for you because you have the same issues in your life and that we can actually relate to you? We don't want to stay in that place, but the church has always had issues and if we don't look to Christ, there's no hope. There's no hope. Here's the second thing. The church is the light of the world. I mean, how much glory does God get when he chooses this broken vessel called the local church to reach 
the crevices of darkness all over the world, and in the midst of the brokenness, he can say, there's no other way this could happen besides the power of the Holy Spirit because those people are too messed up and the church has always been broken. Here, here is the paradox of the church. The church has always been broken, but then the church at the same time has always been the way it's been established to be the light of the world. So in the midst of all of this brokenness and all of this dysfunction, it's the same vessel that God chooses to say, I'm gonna take this mess and I'm gonna make my son's name great to all the nations. Maybe in the midst of this past year with the pandemic taking place, maybe you've had different reactions. You know, for some of you, maybe you've been so disgruntled towards the church, this has been your time to exit. You're going, man, I, I, just, I just cannot connect to this thing called the church. There's just too much. I go, if it's supposed to be this way, then why does it look so much like that? And so your response has been, I'm gonna just take a break. But for others, you've realized in the midst of a broken world that although the church can be very dysfunctional, the church at the end of the day is all that you really have. Because the church is light and you're living in an incredible amount of darkness. How many of you guys uh, get up at night? I'm about to get vivid about why you give up. and I, think I get up, but I, I think you can just figure that out for, for yourself. I, you don't have to raise your hand. I, I know when I'm dealing with a little bit of an older crowd, so you know what that looks like, right? Like, I'm in my 40s now. I don't, I don't get all the way through the night anymore. I didn't plan on going there, but... It's not too bad, although it's dark. It's not too bad unless you're at someone else's house, right? You guys been like on a vacation? We'll go back to these people that get to go to these beaches and islands and hear waves crashing. And it's completely dark and, you know, nature calls and it's two in the morning. Has anyone ever had this happen? It's, it's just pitch black and you're kind of feeling things out. Anybody? You're feeling things out and you're watching your sins, shins because you know at any moment that, that the world could cave in on you and what started as a simple bathroom break can mean a simple larger break and a, a trip to the ER. I want you to capture in your mind this idea of light and darkness. And when things are completely dark and you don't have a map, you don't have a GPS, you don't have a script to follow. Like, so when you're at your house and it's completely dark, you can go on, on muscle memory, right? You, you can remember where the couch is at. You can remember where the corner of the bed is at that's so devastating if you hit it. You can remember where the, the lampstand that's not on is at and where the TV sits so you don't knock it over. You can just kind of like clockwork because you're getting a little older and every 2 a.m. you have to make this journey. You know where everything's at. Right, but you can't live like that when you're somewhere that's unfamiliar. And so there's this anxiety in the midst of darkness. And what I want to encourage us with as we start into this sermon series is this reality. That there is a massive anxiety taking place in the world around us. And the reason that the church is going to thrive is because the church is the light. The whole world, literally the whole world, is walking out, walking at 2 a.m. in the morning, taking a little potty break, and they're freaking out because they're in unfamiliar territory, and at any point they feel like they're going to smash into something. They don't know what to expect. 
But in the midst of that, here's what's so attractive about light. It reduces the anxiety because now you have a place to go, you have a place to belong, and you can turn on that light switch. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm not outside of these lamps. I'm inside of these lamps. I don't care how bad the world gets. You think the world is bad now? Try 2,000 years ago, 90 years old, on an island, getting the crud knocked out of you day after day in a work camp. Every single one of your friends murdered for the gospel, your 90-year-old Paul, our 90-year-old John, and you literally were Jesus' best friend. You're Jesus' best friend. Would anyone have this moment and go, I thought I was your best friend? I mean, you told me to take care of your mom, and then you leave me in a prison camp? Jesus shows up on the scene when he's 90 years old. He says, I'm still in control. The light switch goes on. It's not dark anymore in this moment. He meets him in a cave. And when the light switch goes on, the world takes notice. I had someone challenge me a few months ago. How is the church going to recover from everything going on in America right now? I can't speak. Like if I have all that influence, I can even speak to that issue. I don't know. But I can tell you this one thing with certainty now doing this for a period of time. When the church is the church, are you awake? When the church is the church, when the light switch is on, when the lampstand lamp is firing on all cylinders, people who are stumbling around at a vacation home busting their shins that are scared of the darkness are running to light. When the church is being the church, people are attracted to light because they are absolutely terrified of darkness. There's all sorts of weird stuff going on in the church. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to get off on this tangent for just a second, and we're going to close. And I tell you I'm going to close. That means we're closing a little bit, but I'm almost going to close. <laughs> There's so many weird ways that the church in America right now is trying to reach people. I, I've never seen a more sophisticated, and I would even deem it cheesy, model of branding taking place in the world. And maybe I'm just getting older and my bald spot's getting bigger and I'm just getting a little more disgruntled, but I'm looking at what's going on. Uh, someone sent me a video. Have you guys ever seen uh, Worship Fails? I'm going to go way off on a tangent for just a second. Worship Fails are like, when, because we're so production-driven as a church, and I like good music, trust me. I love good music. I love good worship. I hope that you found a home at New Life and you love worship too. Um, but sometimes... Worship pastors try too hard, and so there's this whole video attributed to all the times that they failed because their tracks and, and their drums and all these things don't work. And, and I was looking at these fails, and I was laughing at them because they weren't us, and I was taking pride in the fact that we're better. And, and I was looking at all these worship pastors, and they had these hair so much cooler than Greg's, and uh, <laughs> it like kind of flipped over. And we used to make fun of skinny jeans, but I don't even know if that's cool anymore because things are constantly changing. By the time I catch up, boom, it's gone. And, 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 and there was these things, and they had all these things that they were saying, and, and the lights, and this, and that. And, and I know there's a balance to all of that. There's nothing wrong with a few lights in church. And some of you are like, amen, never have a light on the stage again. You know? But I was looking at this, this model, and I was going, man, this is such an attractional model that, that we can provide this program with the best music. And we can provide this program with the best youth group and children's ministry. And, and the sermon illustrations are going to be right on point. And we're going to have these connection cards. And, and everyone's going to get connected because we're providing this organization that's better than every other organization. 
And we are going to be the light of the world by providing the best and the brightest show that money can provide. That has been the brand for the last 20 years, and we are losing people over and over and over again. The church is dying. Why? Why wouldn't that work? Reason number one, look at me. We're not as cool as the world. You are kind of nerdy. I'm not, but you are. Right? We're not that cool. When the church tries to act cool, we always look stupid. But reason number two, that's not how it works. The church is the light of the world, and, and, and here's, here's what it looks like in the New Testament. Here's what it looks like for these guys. Here's what it looks like for us. The church is the light of the world when it does just two things well. It loves Jesus, and it feeds on his word, and it loves people, period. When we are hungry for the gospel and we are hungry to develop gospel-centered relationships that are organic and not just another program to build relationships and women in the church are coming together and having conferences like they did yesterday and men in the church are having breakfasts and we're breaking into small groups and we're doing life together and we're, you know, whatever that, when the church is hungry to build relationships and hungry for Jesus Christ himself, what do you know? It's attractive in a world that is running around, banging its shins in the darkness anxiety provoked because they don't know what to do next that is attractive the church is the light of the world you don't even have to clap I already know I'm right the church is the light of the world here's the last thing that I want you to see as we spend this seven now next seven weeks together in this sermon series Jesus loves his church he loves it Jesus loves his church. His church is global. One of the coolest things about New Life is that we made this decision, and it was painful. It came at a cost, that we weren't going to just stay in one space. And so right now, there are uh, 100 or so people listening downtown in the next hour to the same message, and we're all one church. And sometimes Micah preaches, and sometimes they hear this sermon here, but, and today they're going to hear what you guys are hearing from me. Uh, but we're just one church. And, and Pastor Chuck is in Peru right now. Do we have a picture of that? That is the highest graphic you will ever see. Talk about doing things with excellence. That's on Chuck's, you know, ghetto cell phone. That's not obviously, that's a Peruvian model right there. It's the third anniversary of one of the churches in Peru, and that's Osmar with him. Jesus loves his church. A few of you, I recognize you in church this morning. You've been to Peru. God moving amongst his church. I would pray that there would be many more new lives that would start because the world desperately needs churches that aren't perfect but are gospel-centered that just love Jesus. Where discipling is taking place, where things are actually happening, where relationships are being built. I'm actually actually going to actually, actually really close right now. I want to show you just tangibly what this looks like. How many of you guys were blessed by Easter last week? Right? Easter last week, we had these baptisms for some kids in the youth group. And then one of my best friends, who's like a brother to me, also dysfunctional, but takes one to no one, uh, he said to me, and his parents came from Sioux Falls, he said that he wanted to get baptized. And his name is Tyler. He's a big giraffe. He looks like Gumby. Um, Really good at the saxophone and really good at golf and really good at eating a bunch of our food at at our house. Um, 
Do you guys remember this from last week? Just leave that picture up. Tyler's like a little kid. He has to plug his nose before he... (laughs) Tyler has to plug his nose before he goes in the water. Um, Tyler and I met about 12 years ago. I I told this story several times. And um, he was 19 years old at Northern, maybe 20, maybe it was 11 years ago. And he was single. Uh, this weekend, he turned 31. We had like a 48-hour birthday party at the farm, and uh, we just ate a bunch of food and had campfire, uh, and now he's 31 and single, and so um, he's still single. But Tyler has been through so much in the last several years, so much, and we've been walking with him, and most of you probably wouldn't know. You see him on, on stage a lot now. He, he took a break. He actually was... Uh, went and got some help for some things going on in his life, and I was able to, with some other people at church, help him through some of those things. And then he came back with a vengeance where he literally, it was like he was a really good friend, but when he came back from some hardship in his life, he, he made a decision, no, Roddy, I'm not just gonna be your friend. I'm not gonna just be friend to your family with your wife and your kids. I'm gonna basically move into your house, and I'm not gonna just have a meal once in a while. I'm gonna eat all your food. I'm gonna take over your house. And so he's become literally like an uncle to my kids. He's like a little brother to me. And I just want, I don't even have a point, clear point to close this message out. I just want you to see what it looks like. Tyler has given his life to Christ. He grew up in a Christian home. His dad was in ministry his whole life. Tyler knew all the right things to say. All the right things to say. He's standing in the back right now. I didn't even know he's in here. I thought he was out there. Sorry. I didn't, didn't, the Gumby thing was over the top, Tyler knew all the right things to say. When I met him at 19 or 20 or whatever it was in a, in a northern you know, recruitment thing for college students that we do, and he knew all the right things to say. It was, hey, brother, yeah, I'd love to play on the praise team. But I mean, he had all the right things to say, and his life was a mess. Man, he has changed so much. You wouldn't even be, I love this guy. He has changed so much because he found Jesus and he found a church that loved him. And now he's on mission with me and a lot of you guys, and he, he's involved in ministry, and his life is still messy, but it's, it's going in the right direction, and now he's on mission, and then he said to me last week, he said, I wanna get baptized in church, I want my family to come, this has been a long time coming, I want everyone to see the life change that's taken place in my life. And I just wanna close with that reality, that the church is still the church, The church is still the light in the midst of darkness, and it is not a brand that we're trying to promote ourselves. New life is so great. Look what happens at New Life. Look what we do at New Life. No, it is a people purchased by the blood of Jesus. People like the lives of Tyler, and there have been hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of others who have come into this space, heard the gospel, heard about what the church is all about, and given their entire life to it. Jesus Christ loves the church. And in the midst of all of this dysfunction, as he now rips through these next seven churches with the good, the bad, and the ugly, in the midst of all of it, he says, this is the vessel that I'm gonna use to make my name great before my return. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in you and in you alone. Open our hearts to this next time together. Help us to double down on what it looks like to love you and serve you and make you known in our communities 
here and in Peru. Have your way. We pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen.